0: Namaste. I'm Reverend Wendy Craig Purcell here at the Unity Center in beautiful San Diego. Thank you so much for subscribing to this channel. Please make sure that you like the video you've just watched and consider making a contribution on our app or on our website. It's really easy to do and thank you in advance for that support. It does make a difference. We've been journeying together in looking at spiritual integrity, in looking at what are the ills as the great Mahatma Gandhi had identified in our world today, that if we could just change those ills, that we would really create for ourselves a very different shared experience in this human family. And how do we attempt to do some of that ourselves, some of that individually. The ills that Gandhi had identified were these, to have knowledge without character, that there's danger in that, there's concern in that, to have science without humanity, without heart or ethics, to have wealth accumulation without effort, without work, commerce without morality, Politics without principle, we see very vividly what that's doing in our world today right now, right? Pleasure without conscience, and worship without sacrifice. Sacrifice is not a word, and and neither is the word worship really a word that we often use in new thought. We are so about the um, dreams and goals and visioning and creating just what we want for ourselves. And that is well and good, and it has its place. But it's only a partial application of our teaching, a fuller application of our teaching. It's a recognition of widening our circle, of continuing to do our individual growth and development, but to never forget that we are part of a larger whole that we're part of a of a human family and this idea of worship with sacrifice i really think lands squarely in our fifth core unity principle. Unity basically has five teachings, five principles. And the fifth principle in unity is that it is not enough to know these things. It's not enough to know spiritual principle. It's not enough to know what the spiritual tools are, that we must live them. And when Eknoth is writing about the idea of worship with sacrifice, he's not talking about, and I don't think Gandhi was talking about the idea of worship as a as a religious thing. In some ways, coming into a building on a Sunday morning for an hour and worshiping, and then leaving and leaving the experience in that room, that's kind of easy to do. Can get pumped up with the music and maybe with a really powerful message, but it really does nothing if it doesn't live in our hearts, right? Blessed are we know these, blessed are if we know these things, but more blessed are we if we do them. So worship with sacrifice or worship with ourself is to take what it is that we know and to commit ourselves to really applying it consistently wherever we are. And sometimes it it is that spirit whispers to us how to do it, and sometimes it is that spirit seems to send a wrecking ball through our life to wake us up or, or perhaps just to put us, maybe not wake us up, but to put us on a completely different trajectory in our life experience. Certainly, Mahatma Gandhi, who was considered to be perhaps one of the the greatest teachers in in recent history, one of the greatest humanitarian, spiritual teachers, men of conscience, there was a wrecking ball that came through his life. He was living in South Africa at the time. He was on a, a train, and he got thrown off of the train because he was the wrong color got thrown off the train, and he spent the night in the train station. And in those moments of that wrecking ball coming through his life that he somehow was not good enough because he was born in a skin color that was deemed to be less than, somehow that wrecking ball came through his life in such a way that it changed the trajectory of his life that in that train station, he made some deep decisions and commitments to stand for something different. And think about that for a moment. Who among us hasn't heard of this person, Mahatma Gandhi, right? And were it not for that wrecking ball coming through his life, being thrown off that train, where would India be today? Where would South Africa be today? I think we would have lost some incredibly important teachings and radical ideas to apply in life. To worship with sacrifice, according to Eknot, is the idea of looking deeply at what we invest ourselves in. Because the things that we think, the things that we do, the decisions that we make, what we stand for, either helps to evolve the consciousness on our planet or devolve the consciousness on our planet. Gandhi said and deeply believed that he was not exceptional, that anybody could do what he did If they were as committed as he was, I I have to stretch into that. I don't know that I could do any of what he did, but I know uh, all of what he did. But I know that I can do something. And I know you know that to be true for yourself as well, right? Janice Stanfield, one of our beloved New Thought singers and, and songwriters, has in one of her songs a line, I cannot do all the good the world needs, but the world needs all the good I can do. That's, I mean, if we just hold on to that, and if we just live our lives from that, that would make a powerful shift in our families, in our communities, in our world. I cannot do all the good the world needs, but the world needs all the good that I can do. Maybe you're at a place in your life where there's a whispering that's trying to redirect you. Maybe in these weeks that you've been either watching online or or coming to church or reading the book, maybe there's been a whispering, an inkling of a change that you are ready to make, a lifestyle change perhaps that you are ready to make to embody more of these teachings in a way that improves your life and also is an inspiration to improve the lives of those around you. Maybe it's not been a whispering. Maybe it's been like a wrecking ball that's trying to move you into a completely different trajectory in your life. As I was thinking about the song and that line in it, as I was thinking about Mahatma Gandhi's wrecking ball, I was thinking about a wrecking ball in my life. That wrecking ball came at a time when I was an associate, not associate, an assistant minister pretty much right out of ministerial school, working and and having my first opportunity to to try to learn from a a seasoned minister and having my first chance to actually teach a class in this particular unity church I was, was the assistant minister at. And I w- had prepared, I was so excited, I was so ready. And then came the wrecking ball. And the wrecking ball was the senior minister telling me right before I went out to a room of people that was pretty packed. I was so excited and scared to death that they were only there because of him. That they really didn't, weren't interested in what I had to say and I would probably fall and fail. That was a wrecking ball. But it was in that wrecking ball moment, in that personal moment of humiliation, of saying, I'm not gonna stay in this place. I'm gonna figure out a way to still teach because I believe in these teachings, but I'm not gonna stay in what is clearly an unhealthy work situation. And a course of events happened rather quickly after that that reminded me or allowed me to realize that the pain of staying was greater than the fear of going and starting a church really from thin air, from nothing. Spirit sometimes is that whispering, and sometimes it's a wrecking ball. But the good that can come out of it, if we are paying attention is an individual life transformed, an individual life changed. And when an individual life is changed, that life does have an impact on those around it. Whether we realize it or not, people notice who we are and what we do and what we say, and sometimes they notice for the good, and sometimes not so much so. We can make a difference, we need to make a difference by deciding what we stand for, what's really important to us, what we really value for ourselves and for our families, and then figure out how do we take that which we stand for and value for ourselves and live it in such a way that it's an inspiration to other people. As Jana's line in that song says, we can't do it all. We can't do all the good that the world needs right now. But whatever it is that is yours to do, the world needs you to do it. Whatever it is that is mine to do, the world needs me to do it. So worship with self-sacrifice, I think, is coming clear and clean, if you will, with that. Eknoth says, it's not about a religious ceremony, but about the worship we carry on every day in our own hearts and our own minds. That's beautiful. The worship we carry on every day in our own hearts and our own minds, taking notice of what we worship with our attention, with our focus, with our care, with our dollars, with our hands, with our time, with our talents, and our abilities. He quotes the Indian philosophers that say, you are what your deep driving desire is. As your deep driving desire is, so is your will. As your will is, so is your deed. As your deed is, so is your destiny. An important question to ask ourselves then is, what am I dedicating my life to? And is it worthy of me? Just pause there and let that kind of simmer. What is it that I'm dedicating my life to? And is it worthy of my worship? Is it worthy of this God-given breath, this God-given day that I've received? Is it worthy of that? Esauan was asked what he'd say to the young people of the world. Here's how we answer that question. Don't ever lose your ideals. Nothing matters so much as keeping the flame alive. If you fall, pick yourself up and march on. If you cannot run, then walk. If you cannot walk, then crawl. Nothing in life is more joyful or more more fulfilling than keeping the flame alive. Keep it burning. The goal is to get hold of our desires and to draw them together into a single, all-consuming passion for the well-being of all life. The more closely you gather the threads, the more brightly your light will shine. I was thinking about how these ideas have kind of evolved in me over time. And I was thinking about the kinds of messages I gave in the beginning of my ministry, and the messages that I give today. And there's been an evolution to them. And I think that's natural over the course of years. But I think it's not only over the course of years that they have evolved and changed. It is also over the, um, the different phases of life you enter into as the years go by. And you know, when we're in our 20s, maybe in our 30s, maybe we're really passionate and on fire with, we're going to change the world. Right? Can you get back in touch with that? Those of you who aren't 20 and 30 right now. Um, you can get back in touch. But as we get older, maybe sometimes we feel like, well, you know, there's a winding down or there's a differing phase that we're that we're entering into. And I don't think there's anything bad or wrong with any of that. But I think as we mature and as maybe we don't feel the same kind of earnestness about being out there and really working to change the world, then I think the very least that we can do, especially those of us that really are committed to this teaching, to a mission such as ours of continuing to transform our individual life and being about what we can be about to heal the world, I think the natural step for us is to really cultivate and pay attention to the young people in our life and how can we nurture them on and encourage them on to maybe do the things that we will not see done and accomplished in our lifetime because of the age that we are now. But not to just sit back and become quiet and think that our time has passed because it hasn't. Unity's fifth principle is the principle of it's not enough to know any of this. When we know it, then we're expected to do something with it. We're expected to not just fall asleep and pretend we don't know, but to stay alert and awake and give voice to what it is we know. I think we can do a lot, no matter how many candles are on our birthday cake, by every conversation we have. Every positive conversation we have, every time we give voice to things that matter, whether it is through social media channels, through conversations with a neighbor, with somebody standing in line, we all have the power of this voice. We have the power of our minds. We have the benefit, I believe, of these kinds of teachings. Do you remember before you knew any of this stuff? Not your head one way or another, so I know. I remember before I knew any of this stuff, and I remember the light bulbs going off and the joy and the excitement and sometimes the arguing in my head with what my minister was saying. Do I really believe that? Well, let me go test it. Let me see if it it really works. And, And being transformed by it. Not everybody knows these things yet. Not everybody knows them. And to give voice to them to be a voice of inspiration, to earnestly seek out young people in our lives, the upcoming generation. How can we help support and nourish them? And how can we learn from them? How can we learn from them? Not to think that we have all of the answers. We've kind of left some things kind of messy, don't you think? Well, I think we've left some things kind of messy. And we may not be around to clean all those things up, but we can certainly be earnest in supporting and encouraging the kinds of changes that can make life better for a wider circle than just for ourselves. In this chapter, Eknath, as he winds up the book and his his teachings, he suggests that there are some compassionate practices for life that we can apply or look at in four categories. He says the categories are consciousness, sustainable living, generosity, and knowledge. I encourage you, if you have the book, to take a look at that chapter. It's kind of a summary chapter in many ways. But he says what it would look like to worship in an embodied way, not in a religious way, but in an embodied way, it would look like compassion showing up in those four areas, in the area of consciousness. And of course, if you've been following along, you know that he's forever emphasizing the same thing we emphasize in unity, and that's prayer and meditation. Cultivating that quiet inner life, learning to tame the mind, learning to quiet the mind, to bring the mind to a place of focus, and a place of receptivity to not just our own intellectual reasoning and thinking and logic, but to cultivate the mind through practice in such a way that we can be aware of a deeper wisdom, a deeper guidance. That compassionate practice in consciousness does take the form of meditation. It does take the... Form of an active practice of loving kindness. We could choose every time that we get, you know, into, I was at Costco three times in the last two days over Memorial Day weekend. It is not the place you want to be unless you want to have an assignment to practice loving kindness and patience. I wanted to fix beautiful halibut tonight for, for our family, so I'm there at nine. in the morning yesterday at Carmel Mountain. They are lining up everywhere. Like their carts are going to go pushing in as soon as the doors open. And there's not going to be anything left if you just don't force your way through. And I'm thinking about this lesson. And I'm thinking about I get to choose to practice how I show up. Can I go through Costco not like it's an obstacle course and these people are obstacles in my way can I practice loving kindness? I did okay. I did okay. He says, compassionate practice in the area of sustainable living. JC, I think about you and the things that I've learned from you over many years of of friendship. And while I don't by any chance do it perfectly, whether it's making sure we compost our food scraps between you and Jennifer, I don't have a chance. You know, looking, looking at consumption look making sure that we we get rid of or stop using disposable things looking at you know how how can i live in a way that's more sustainable even if it takes practice even if it's a little more expensive even if it's a little more inconvenient even if it means needing to learn new habits and different ways of being he says, the third is compassionate practice in the area of generosity, showing up with a generous heart. It's so easy sometimes to think, especially in a church, if a minister's talking about generosity, they just want you to open your wallet and put money in the basket. And while that's important to keep any business, nonprofit or otherwise functioning, that's not the same thing automatically as cultivating and living from a generous heart. And a generous heart is a heart that really is looking outward in terms of, is there something in me that I can lend to this situation? It could be an encouraging word. It could be a pat on the back. It could be a hug. It could be loaning somebody something. It could be giving something away. It could be our time. It could be our money. But it's a way of thinking. It's a way of being. And it's a way of thinking and being that says it's not just for my family. I want to make that circle wider. And then he says that the last is a compassionate practices in the area of knowledge. And I liked that he talked about that. What he's saying is to keep learning, to keep growing, to keep the mind fresh and alive. And I think that We can pay attention to our young people for some of this. To try to enter into and be aware of how are they seeing the world? How are they dealing with things? What can we learn from them? Is there some reciprocity here? And so bringing it all back, whether it's this particular social ill that Gandhi had identified, worship, without sacrifice, or any of the other six that we had looked at. I think what it comes down to is the embodiment of these concepts in our lives. Not only knowing them, but once we know them, to be as earnest as we can. We don't have to do it perfectly. We will not do it perfectly. There will be plenty of times that we fall short, plenty of times we fall asleep, plenty of times we forget. But if our overarching intent is to be more consistent in our practice and embodying, then we will be an inspiration, changing with every conversation, changing our families, changing our communities, and I believe we can change the world. Namaste.